Well, Teresa, thank you for sharing such a powerful testimony of our God's goodness and power. And church, we are going to see his goodness and power yet again in the scriptures this morning. So, uh, if you are able, will you, will you stand with me as we read from Matthew chapter 9, <clears throat> starting in verse 18 through 34. By the way, little kids can be dismissed to time in case uh, you have a three- to six-year-old. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David! When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord! Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never has anything like this been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, in your mercy, help us to hear from you this morning. Give us tender hearts, open ears. May we be changed this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today's passage is quite powerful. It's also a stern reminder that we need hope. Amen? We need hope. We live in a world full of death, destruction, disease, sickness, despair. Forbes uh, magazine reported that uh, a, a little while back that due to the, the COVID-19, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the number of anxiety and depressive disorders grew. Um, specifically, worldwide, we saw almost a 28% increase in uh, de- depression, uh, depression symptoms, I should say. Anxiety was similar with about a 25% increase in those experiencing anxiety. And this was particularly pronounced among young adults ages 18 to 25. About 30%, so almost one-third of all young adults ages 18 to, 30, or to 25, 
uh, experienced different, different mental health conditions, all of that increasing during the pandemic. We live in a world, in a society that yearns for, longs for, and needs hope. Death and despair are real. And our go-to is often to try to run and escape. We try to drown out the despair, whether it be through entertainment, alcohol, or whatever. We want to deny the reality of despair, or, or we just become overwhelmed with despair. But today, in our passage, we see that death does not have a hold on Jesus, that even with a touch, He brought this little girl to life, and we see life flowing from Jesus into the world around Him. We see the kingdom of God breaking into a fallen world and making real change. We've been in our Behold Your King series. We've been seeing Jesus' authority, but also seeing that coupled with His compassion, that the king that we're beholding is quite different than any king we've seen before. And today, what we're going to see is really similar themes, similar subjects, subject matter that we, that from what we saw in the first uh, sermon in this series. We're seeing Jesus healing with a touch. We're seeing Him bringing restoration. And we're seeing a set of three miracles yet again. Remember, we had three miracles, then a kind of interlude on discipleship, followed by three miracles. And, here, and by a, an interlude on discipleship, we looked at that last week. And then finally, we have this set of three miracles again. Now, you may look at this and say, well, Pastor Mark, I count four. And yes, technically there are four, but the first two actually go together. The technical term is an intercalation where the author has put two miracles together. We have this dealing with the, the, the raising the little girl to life and the healing of the bleeding woman. Both of them are really one story. All of the synoptic gospel authors put them together, and we're supposed to use them to interpret one another. We're understanding what they mean because of what comes around it. So we use the bleeding woman to help us understand what's going on with the dead girl and vice versa. So today, let's, the way we're going to kind of be looking at this, because it's such a long passage, we're going to kind of take them all as a whole again. We're going to look at the state of the recipients, the faith of the recipients, and then the touch of Jesus. So unlike normally what I do where I kind of go verse by verse today, we're going to group things together. But when we look at the state of the recipients, we have four basic recipients, right? We have the mute man, the blind uh, men, we have the bleeding woman, and we have the dead girl. The mute man, we get the least about him. We're going to go in reverse order real quick. He is oppressed by Satan. And because he is mute, especially in this society, that means his ability to communicate was severely limited. They didn't have American Sign Language and kind of the systems we have in place today. It's already hard enough for somebody who is mute and deaf in our culture to get around and to be known and to know others. For them, it was extremely hard. So we have this mute man who generally would not know others well, nor would he be known well. We have these blind men. They can't see. They're in the dark. They're cut off from society because their ability to participate in society would have been severely limited. And then kind of we have these other two examples which are even much more strong about kind of the despair that they have. We have this bleeding woman, most likely menstrual uh, problem. She is ceremonial unclean. We'll read from Leviticus in in a moment. But she is ceremonially unclean because of what she is walking through. And because of that, she is cut off communally from the rest of the people. Similar to the lepers that we saw about two months ago, when she would be around a crowd, she would have to declare unclean. Not only that, anything she sat upon 
would be unclean. And she'd been suffering for 12 years, and she is desperate. Now we have the dead girl, kind of the extreme of all of this. If the bleeding woman was cut off, if the blind man men couldn't see, and the mute man couldn't communicate, well, here we have somebody who is the epitome of all of that. She is dead. Her family is experiencing great pain. She's in the opposite of what ought to be. She is lifeless. Death is unnatural. It's our enemy. We see here that the crowd laughs at Jesus when he says, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. Because we all know that death is unreversible. When people die, we don't just kind of sit there and think, Well, maybe I'll see them tomorrow. You know, that's not a normal thought for us. So when Jesus comes in and says, well, she's just asleep, and by the way, that's kind of a, a nod to the, the temporary nature of death when we think about the kingdom of God, the people just laugh at him. They're like, this is irreversible. What are you talking about, Jesus? She is dead. Ben Franklin said that the only certain things in life are death and taxes. And he's obviously making kind of a little quip about the inevitability of taxes, and he's comparing it to something we all know is inevitable, death, death. So the little girl, she has died. Death is our enemy, and it's a seemingly insurmountable enemy. So that leads us to our first point today. We need rescue and restoration from death and darkness. We need rescue and restoration from death and darkness. And this is both a spiritual reality and a physical reality. When sin entered the world, it didn't just break things spiritually. It broke things physically. We need physical restoration. And so God's kingdom, which is entering into the world, it's invading the world, it's, it arrived with Christ, it is making things physically new. We do live in the season of the already but not yet, so we still experience death and destruction. But one day, the physical world will be remade and all will be good. But we need rescue and restoration from death and darkness. Now, we have two cultural temptations in our society. One is, and I mentioned this earlier, we try to numb or distract ourselves. We try to numb or distract ourselves. But secondly, we also try to preserve our life at all costs. Our society doesn't know what to do with death. We extend life far beyond what is necessary sometimes. Now, I think the Christian thing to do is to try to extend life reasonably so. But our culture, a lot of times, we don't know what to do with death. And so we go to every single, every single kind of option possible in order to sustain it. I mean, you have celebrities who try to freeze and preserve their cut-off heads because they're like, well, maybe someday I'll be able to come back to life. Like, that's how insane our obsession with keeping death away from us is. Yet it is inevitable. And thinking about the reality of death wakes us up to our need for Christ. Why do I start here? Because if we don't start with looking at our need for rescue and restoration, then what Jesus does just becomes a simple parlor trick. It's like, oh, Jesus, hey, this seems great. You uh, healed some people, brought a girl back to life. Mm, yay, okay, whatever. But when we see that, oh my goodness, everything is not awesome, everything is falling apart, we need life, then we see just how incredible it is that God himself is making things new. So our second point. Jesus rescues and restores those who trust in who He is. So we've seen the state of the recipients. Let's look at the faith of the recipients. 
Jesus rescues and restores those who trust in who he is. Let's start with the ruler and the woman this time. We start with this ruler coming and saying, come and lay your hand on her and she will live. This is, this is a pretty incredible belief that he's walking up to this itinerant Jewish rabbi who's claiming to be the Messiah, the new authority. Perhaps he's seen him teach. Perhaps he's, ex- he's interacted with Jesus in some way. But either way, he believes. He says, I believe that you are the one who is to come. Come and lay your hand on her and she will live. What faith of this father. And then we have the faith of the woman as well. She says, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. And that made well there in the Greek is literally saved. And this is the only place in Matthew, right here and then right afterwards, where Jesus says your faith has uh, made you well. It's the only place that Matthew uses the word saved when dealing with physical healing. The only place. Matthew doesn't like to use that word very much. So Matthew is making a spiritual statement about what is going on. He's doing it subtly, but he is making a statement. He's not, there's no mistake that he is uh, using that term here. And her attitude, the attitude of this woman, I mean, she's bold, audacious. She's ridiculous too. Just kind of this, man, I'm going to go into this crowd that I'm not supposed to go into, and if I can just touch the corner of his garment, I will be made well. She believes that Jesus can heal her. We see in Leviticus, I don't have this on the screen, but Leviticus 15 verses 25 to 27, this is what is true of someone in her state. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she, sh- she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. So this woman, by going and touching Jesus is clearly doing something she really should not be doing because she would be threatening to make Jesus unclean. But she has such faith. She says, I believe that Jesus can bring the healing that I need. And so she goes up and touches his garment. Now, we live in a culture that uh, touching, you know, not, not so much here in our Northwest Iowa, Iowa culture. You know, we Hold people at arm's length. No, you, you don't touch me. Especially strangers, we don't touch each other. You know, good friends, maybe, you know, give a nice handshake, you know, when you're a dear friend. But uh, that's, that's a joke, by the way. But uh, here, here we have, in her culture, she's not supposed to do this, but she believes. And Jesus clearly says, your faith has made you well. That's her faith. Now, we're going to talk about what this means kind of theologically here in a bit. But she has faith, and it's because she has faith that she gets to be healed. The blind men have a similar story. 
They have faith in Jesus. They identify Him as the Son of David. They are the first ones in the book of Matthew to identify Jesus as the Son of David. This goes all the way back to what Matthew tells us in the very first verse. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, he says, The book of the genealogy... The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he's making the point that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the promised Davidic king who is going to come and restore all things. And these two blind men, they say, we believe Jesus is that guy. We believe he is the promised king. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 and 6, Isaiah says this about the promised time when this messianic king would come, what would be true of that glorious restorative time. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Does this sound like some miracles that we've been walking through over the past few weeks? I don't think it's an accident that Matthew's like, I'm going to put a bunch of miracles that all describe this together. Uh, we even, he even references this here in, in a couple of chapters in Matthew. So here we have this promise of a future time under the Messiah when the eyes of the blind will be open. The mute will sing. And so the blind men, they know Isaiah 35. And they say, this Jesus, that's Him. He's the promised one. He can open our eyes. They take God at His word. And Jesus confirms this. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They say yes, and Jesus says, according to your faith, be it done to you. The beautiful irony in all of this is that these blind men aren't blind. They see Jesus for who He is. The Pharisees who can see, they are the blind ones. According to your faith, be it done for you. Now, what does it mean that according to your faith, be it done for you, and then back with the bleeding woman, your faith has made you well? What's that mean? There's a danger that says, well, it's my faith in particular that is healing me. So I just need to have faith. It's what the prosperity gospel teaches. That's what this health and wealth thing teaches, where if I just believe strongly enough, God will heal me, as if God kind of owes me something. But the Scriptures make it very clear that's not what it's talking about. That's not what it means for our faith to heal us. So faith specifically is trust. That's a, maybe another word for it, belief or trust. It's trusting God, taking Him at His word. And what it's not is a magical thing that forces God's hand. It isn't just, oh, I have faith in something, and God looks at it and says, oh, that warms my heart, and so I'm going to do something. No, no, it's something far better and more powerful. It's not something heartwarming, and so He gives us salvation or healing or whatever. Let's see what the Scriptures have to say about this faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we reference this a lot. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Similar thought in Romans 3, 23-25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith. So both in Ephesians 2 and Romans 3, we see that salvation is a gift. Okay, it's not the due payment for us pleasing God in some way. It is a gift that God gives us, and it is received through faith. Through faith. Faith is the means or the instrument of our salvation. It is not the source of our salvation. So faith does not create salvation or create healing. 
It is, we are saved through faith. Through faith. The, the best illustration I can think of, and by the way, this is just an illustration, so it'll break down if you think about it too hard, like any metaphor when it comes to spiritual things. But imagine you have an electronic device, and uh, it, it requires electricity to run. You can plug it into the wall. Without the plug, it, nothing's going to happen. But you wouldn't say that the plug is the source of its power. No, it's the electricity in a power plant somewhere. It is through the plug that the device is powered. In the same way, our faith is like the cord. It is through faith that we are saved. We're saved through faith or by faith or because of faith, but our salvation is not created by faith. It takes a hold. Faith takes a hold of salvation. John even iterates this, or reiterates this in uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we see this idea of receiving the Lord is the same as believing the Lord. Basically, to put all this together, by grace, God rescues and restores. That is, he gives us the gift. And faith is us responding rightly to that gift and saying, I believe. That, by the way, that is true whether you are a free will person or a Calvinist, okay? You guys know me. I generally fall into the Calvinist camp, but both sides will affirm that. It is us believing. And, that, uh, and also, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 even tells us that faith itself is a gift. Faith is us rightly aligning ourselves with the Creator in all that He says. Oh yes, Lord, I agree that Jesus is the King. Jesus is the one who restores. I believe that that is true. And that is where our salvation comes from. But it is Jesus, Him, He is our salvation. He is the source. What a beautiful testimony Teresa shared. It is Jesus who healed her. And it was through her faith and the faith of so many others praying for her that the Lord acted. What beautiful beautiful truths. So with these blind men and the bleeding woman and the father of the dead girl, they were, everything, in their, everything they were asking for was made right because they were trusting in Jesus. Jesus healed because of their belief in Him. That's what He does. He's a restoring and rescuing King. So Jesus rescues and restores those who trust in who He is. So where do you need to take Jesus at His word? Where in your life needs restoration and rescuing, perhaps physical or spiritual? Where do you need to take him at his word that he can save you? Do you trust Jesus enough to follow him wherever he calls you? And do you trust that everything he says and everything he has planned for you is good, even if it is painful to walk through? We've seen the state of the recipients, the faith of the recipients. I want to look at the touch of Jesus. So Jesus is showing us that the kingdom of heaven is here. He's not just doing magic tricks or fun miracles. He is saying the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. And so we get with the blind man, Jesus touching their eyes. We have seen that Jesus could speak his miracles into existence, right? Calm the storm. He drove out the demons. He made the, the lame man walk. That was the whole last section of miracles, was his authority, just his ability to speak. What Jesus says is. 
Jesus could very well have just spoken and made the blind men see. But he touches them in the same way with the woman. Or sorry, with the the dead girl. The, The father says, come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And then Jesus does indeed do that. At the end of the story, he takes her by the hand and the girl arises. And then the woman, she comes and touches him. She believed it was the touch Jesus never rebukes her for that touch. This leads us to this third point, this idea of touching. In power and compassion, Jesus brings life with just a touch. In power and compassion, Jesus brings life with just a touch. And I I emphasize compassion because Jesus didn't need to touch. Like I said, He could have just spoken these things into being. But because He touches, just as He touched the leper two months ago, Because he touches, we see that he has compassion. He is moving into the world. And Jesus makes the woman whole. He makes her clean. She's no longer unclean, but she is clean. You know, when we studied Haggai a couple months ago too, we saw cleanness and uncleanness usually goes one way. Dirty things make other things dirty. But here, Jesus has the power And the compassion. And instead of being made unclean, He makes the woman clean. Not only that, He's touching a dead body. That was a big no-no. That was like the worst thing you could touch. But He comes and takes the girl by the hand. And Matthew is emphasizing that there is physical contact going on here. But instead of Jesus being overcome by death and uncleanliness, the girl comes to life. This is what Jesus can do in our life. He reverses death. And yes, one day for us who are in Christ, death itself will be overcome. There will be a resurrection. And that's something that God calls us to dwell upon. And so as we read these stories, they're not just, oh, isn't that a nice miracle? It is a taste of what's to come. Oh, church, we need that. We need the life of Jesus. Jesus has the power to make life what He says is true. Yesterday, our youngest, Selah, found some little kind of token game pieces, kind of like a Connect Four piece, and she kept walking around the house telling us they were coins, even told us she wanted us to buy something with the coins. We kept telling her, those aren't coins. Yes, they are. She's like, but they're round. Yes, they are round like coins, but uh, she, she goes, they're just another color. I'm like, but that doesn't make them coins, and nothing we say is going to let the store accept it as legal tender. You know, she's four. She doesn't get that. They're coins. I declared that they're coins. You can use them. Parents, you are such fools that you don't know that these aren't coins or that these are coins. Okay, yes, I guess we're just fools. But Jesus, what he says is the girl's not dead, she's asleep. Death is a mere momentary pause until we have the fullness of life in Christ, what Jesus says is. So for all of us this morning, I urge us to reflect and then on this truth and then come to Jesus because we can be made clean and if you are in Christ, you are clean. You may be here this morning and you are not somebody who's, who, who knows Jesus. You don't believe in Jesus. You've been wrestling with these questions. I invite you to come to Jesus. I invite you to come and say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that your death was enough. And he says, 
I can make you clean. I will be clean. He says, just come to him in faith. Believe. Believe that he died the death that you deserved. That he died on the cross for you. Should you believe that and come to him, he will make you clean. But also Christians, I know that most of us here are Christians. We have been made clean, but we walk around with a lot of baggage. We walk around with a lot of guilt and shame. I think Jesus, as we read this passage, invites us to recognize and believe that he has removed that baggage from us. That he frees us from that baggage. I know in a group this size, there are some of you who have done terrible things. That when you look at your life, there are things that you have done, and you have great shame. You're like, I, Pastor Mark, yeah, I believe that Jesus has died for me, but I'm not worthy of anything, and my life is just a broken mess. Your life may be a broken mess, but Jesus will touch you, and there is no sin that is too great that he cannot redeem and restore. Jesus used a murderer for the sake of the kingdom. So even if you are sitting in this room and you have literally killed someone, Jesus can use you. That doesn't mean there aren't consequences and things we have to walk through. But that story can be redemptive. Think about this morning as we heard from Teresa, the pain that she walked through and the fear that she had as she was going through all of that but today we got to sit here and listen and be edified through what God did through her. God can take the worst situation and restore us. What will our response be? Now, we didn't talk at all about the mute guy. So I'm going to wrap up with this. Because the mute guy is just kind of thrown in here is the last, well, not thrown in here, I shouldn't say that. Matthew's not throwing things around. But Matthew doesn't elaborate on this at all. He uses the mute guy to basically ask, what's your response going to be? He's reached the end of his section on Jesus' kind of authority and compassion. He's made a clear argument through narrative, this is our king. Are you going to be like the Pharisees? Looking at Jesus and being like, nah, this is not life, this is death. Or do we come to Jesus and believe? Let's not scoff and reject, but let's come to Jesus in faith. Where are you dying? Jesus can restore. Wherever your pain is, He can heal. And He can take even death itself and reverse it and use it for His glory and your good. Here's our big idea. Just come to Jesus in faith and have life. You may have come to Jesus before, You're, you may be a Christian, but still come to Him. Just continually come to Him because that is where life is found. We need rescue from death, but He gives life to those who have faith. And He does it with just a touch. He is willing to touch even you. Let me pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness. Help us to believe that Jesus is indeed the King who cares and has great compassion. You are our Savior, you are our